Some players who sat out 2019 are in the news, and our industry drafts are getting into full swing. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had the three cold brews yet. Got ahead of me on uh, my my caffeine question, so glad glad to know that there's been uh, some caffeination in your life. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, March 3rd. I'm Al Melker, and I am joined here by Michael Beller, who incidentally uh, later today is going to be participating in the Tout Wars Mixed Draft. Time permitting, we may get to a little bit of um, Michael's approach, have him give away all his secrets (laughs) right before the draft. Uh, If not, uh, we will certainly uh, catch up with you, Michael, on Friday's show um, to to see how it went and... uh, you know, get the, the lessons learned and all that good stuff. We will eventually actually get to another big-time industry draft, the labor mix draft. And when DVR comes back for tomorrow's show, uh, we can talk to him about the NL draft that he participated in. So we'll spend some time on that. But we will get started here with a couple of stories that, frankly, we're just going to discuss just for sort of amusement value <laughs> because I don't think there's much to any of them. Uh, the first of these is that the Yankees, of course, they – need some pitching reinforcements. They've got plenty of in-house options, but it's all basically prospects or uh, you know, pitchers that haven't really proven themselves as starters. Uh, so they're looking elsewhere. And one place they're looking is across town at the Mets rotation. And apparently, uh, according to some reports, they've reached out to the Mets about acquiring Steven Matz. That would be really interesting, uh, but it's, it seems like that's probably not going to happen. And I don't really see what would be in it for the Mets. But the other thing uh, is that they went to a workout uh, from Henderson Alvarez, who, frankly, I, I was surprised to hear that he's uh, still still out there. And that's great news because I, I really loved watching him pitch. But um, the other thing is that uh, Jose Bautista is trying to make a comeback as a two-way player. So he's like Joey Bats plus now. <laughs> <laughs> Joey Bats and glove. That's Joey right. Joey Bats and it, arms. It, Something it, like that. Bats and arms. It's, it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, it doesn't. but uh, I don't I, Nothing here other than rooting interest, because I'd love to see both of these things happen. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, the, the, the Jose Batista on the mound would be just a sight to see. That would be a lot of fun. Um, I don't think we're actually going to see it in the majors necessarily. I'll believe it when I do see it, but uh, man, that would be a whole lot of fun. Guys reinventing themselves, and maybe it'll be a trend. Uh, you know, we've seen obviously plenty of guys come up as uh, or surface as two-way players over the last couple of years. Shohei Otani, the obvious one, but you know, Michael Lorenzen's done it a little bit, and I think that you could get a lot more guys now with the rules being the way they are, uh, being willing to try it, and a lot more teams hunting for. For players who are capable of playing the field and you know pitching in a few innings, so uh, maybe it'll be a little bit of a trend. Maybe Joey Bats is going to be a pioneer here, right? It's never the first person who really does it, but he lays the groundwork for those who come behind him. Yeah, that that could be it. I think you're onto something here that it's maybe already a trend, not only in terms of you know players like Otani and Lorenzen who you know came to the majors with these two way skills, but you know, players like Matt Davidson mm-hmm. who converted to pitching. I don't think he's Maybe only as a position player he's pitched in the major leagues. I'm not even sure that he's done that. 
Uh, Anthony Ghost remaking himself as a reliever, but I would think he could probably still hit in a pinch. Uh, but let's move on to some uh, industry drafts here, uh, namely the labor mixed draft and uh, all the labor drafts uh, mixed AL, NL. Uh, occurred over this past weekend uh, at uh, First Pitch Florida, which is a great uh, event put on by uh, the folks at Baseball HQ. And let's get right to some of the kind of topical injury-related results here. So we talked about Blake Snell on the Monday episode and how he had the cortisone shot uh, on the outside of his elbow. And you and I both were pretty pessimistic about his value. He clocked in with uh, an $18 winning bid. Um, How do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's reasonable value, good value? I'm actually going to guess, based on your reaction on Monday, that you think maybe it's a little too much. I think it's a little too much. I think if you are inclined to make this bet, to make this risk, I think this is a fair price. I think it's more that, right? Because these aren't necessarily the same thing. I'm more saying that he's going to be more expensive than I am willing to pay. Having Mm -hmm. said that, I think that if you want to get him, if this is a gamble you are willing to make, that this is about the sort of price that you have to be expecting. What surprises me maybe a touch more than the fact that he went for 18, just that raw value, is what that 18, how that 18 compares relatively to some other pitchers. So you look at Noah Syndergaard going for 17, Mike Clevenger going for 17, Brandon Woodruff going for 16, Chris Paddock going for 19. If you would have given me those values, Al, you told me those four guys and those values, then I would have said, all right, Blake Snell went for what, like 13, 14 bucks? So that's what surprises me uh, more than the, the, the raw number is just that, feels like there's going to be some maybe some bargains to be had. There are so many guys in that SP you know, 20 to 25 range that I feel like we could look up at the end of the season and they're going to be pitching like SP 10, SP 12. So it makes me excited to attack that tier of pitcher, and that hasn't necessarily been the case over the last few years. Right, it, it, absolutely. But to, you know, to the same point, that almost every pitcher that you mentioned I think could also pitch down to SP3035, there's a lot of risk in that group. And and by the way, I include Chris Paddock in that statement, and I think I'm pretty much on on uh, scared of Chris Paddock Island because <laughs> I know everybody's very excited about it. He is developing another pitch, which, which I certainly makes me a little bit more intrigued. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I agree with you. I think Paddock could finish the year as a top-10 starter. I just think because of the limited track record and the relatively limited arsenal at this point, that uh, I, I'm probably not going to have Paddock in any leagues. He's just going for a little bit more than I would want. And if we look at that value vis-a-vis Blake Snell, that Paddock went for 19 and Snell went for 18, I think that's just about right mm-hmm. for both pitchers. Um, and some of the pitchers that you mentioned that were going a little bit more cheaply than Snell. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was uh, an interesting one. And uh, getting back again to some of the recently injured players, uh, James Paxton at seven dollars, very little risk there, yeah. very little. Uh, yeah, I mean you're you're losing him for at least a quarter of the season, but you know it's certainly easier to swallow when you're in the in the single digits there for somebody who, when healthy, you should should be a top twenty pitcher. So yeah, yeah. I, I, when we had first talked about him, I he was another guy who I dumped right into that do not draft category. But at seven dollars, even I'm willing to take that that risk. Yeah, no, it's hard hard to pass that up. And I, by the way, just to circle back, I meant to mention this before that uh, that Blake Snell bid went to our very own Jake Seeley. So Jake was representing us 
in this uh, in this draft. Jake went and, pitcher uh, crazy in this draft. <laughs> he did. Verlander, Scherzer, uh, Sales, Snell, Cindergard. I mean, this guy is going to be living on the mound. Yeah. So you uh, certainly, if, if that doesn't work out for Blake Snell, <laughs> I don't think he has to worry too much about about his pitching. And of course, Jake always, uh, you know, great evaluator of, of value. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, let's get to the. Uh, the Yankee, uh, other Yankee injuries, uh, Aaron Judge going for 14, John Carlos Stanton going for eight. That spread surprises me a little bit, and maybe that's because you and I and, and DVR, we've all been framing this as Stanton versus Judge, who's the better value, who's the, the greater risk, and, and viewing them as equivalent enough that we can make that comparison. So I, I really I like Stanton at eight a lot. I also yeah, I think Judge at fourteen is, is pretty good, but Stanton at eight, I'll I'll take that every day. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised by both of these prices. I would be all over those two guys at uh, at at those price the judge at fourteen, I mean uh, that one feels like the bargain of all bargains. And there were some real good bargains in this draft or this auction, excuse me, as is always the case, right? Uh, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to evaluate an auction if you weren't in the room looking back at it, because every single auction in every single sport that has ever existed in the fantasy world ends up having some eye-popping values. Uh, it's just the, the the room itself is a living organism, so it's hard to say that, oh, man, how did the room let this happen? How did the room let that happen? It's just that's just how auctions work, and you do, you do literally two of them, right? You, the first time you think maybe it's an anomaly. The second time you see, okay, this is just how auctions work. Having said all that, I love both those Yankees at those prices, even with the, the concerns they come into the season with, the concerns that they've had previously in their career. I mean, the price is absolutely right if you're living in that 8 to 14 range on two guys like that who could just, I mean, they, these could be you know $40 players if they're healthy. Yeah, and you, know, you raised a point that really should be raised every time we talk about auctions, which is that it is a living, breathing uh, organism or living, breathing event, and you, you don't. You don't know if you don't know the context. It's hard to really completely evaluate these prices. And to raise another one, uh, that that sort of falls in that category. Max Scherzer going for thirty-two dollars when both Jack Flaherty and Walker Buehler went for thirty-four. That surprised me a little bit. But again, who knows when those pitchers were thrown out? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe if, if Flaherty and Buehler were like the first two players thrown out, and the you know the the market is still being set. Uh, you know, maybe you can have a result like that or if Scherzer for whatever reason, I think it's probably unlikely, but you know, if he was held back a bit and you know, there wasn't as mm-hmm. much money, I, again, I find that extremely hard to think that that was the case, but maybe if Flaherty and Bueller went early, uh, they, they were a little inflated and, and see, I, I actually find off. that the, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I find that the reverse is true. That if, that the first guys, when people are comfortable with the supply that's still available, that no one wants to be perceived as the sucker who overpaid for one of the first players. And so I, I would, you know, I feel like you see a lot like Scherzer being the first one thrown out and people saying to themselves, Verlander's still out there. Strasburg's still out there. Bueller's still out there. Like there are plenty of guys here. I don't need to be the guy who goes $35 for Max Scherzer when there are still seven, eight aces, Jacob deGrom, who I'm comfortable as my SP one. So I feel like in auctions, that first guy in a tier who gets thrown out is a great time to strike. No, that's a, that's an excellent point. Um, I, I think what I have the harder time understanding is Flaherty and Bueller going for for thirty four because, I mean, if, if if they were all part of one tier, that would totally make sense. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe to the people who bid on them who went thirty two, thirty three, thirty four, uh, you know, maybe they 
figured that there was more of a drop off after Flaherty or Bueller than before. But you know, certainly we you know we've all read enough articles uh, you know with rankings and tiers and and just discussing how to handle starting pitching in, in drafts and auctions that we talk about a big four. I don't hear anybody talking about a big five or a big six right. or any controversy over um, you know who's number four, who's number seven. The controversy is about who's number five, uh, and and typically it's Bueller. I'm a, I'm a Flaherty as five guy, um, <laughs> uh, so I was kind of glad to see them get equal footing here. Mm-hmm. But I would think that, yeah, maybe the third or fourth out of the big four, that gets inflated. But uh, And Verlander went for 36. So, you know, he could maybe he was the last of the big four to get thrown out. Yeah. But You've then got there's Gromson at 40 also. But I think that's fair, too. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people would say that they would have, rather have just the cheapest guy. I think there's a little bit separating DeGrom and Cole from the rest of these guys. Yeah, and the, the, the room agreed because they both went for 40. So... Uh, again, we're just kind of guessing and speculating here, but I still think it's a useful exor- exercise. Oh, um, definitely. Shane Bieber went for 29. I was sort of gl- glad to see that separation between him and, and Flaherty and Bueller. In fact, I am writing a piece in the next couple weeks uh, that's tentatively called why I'm probably not ever drafting Shane Bieber this year. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel like he's just gotten a little expensive, and uh, among those – Second tier options, meaning the the pitchers behind the big four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just uh, it really to me comes down to that he's had two seasons in the majors where he's he's missed a lot of bats, particularly in the in the more recent one. But in both seasons, when he's allowed contact, it's been a, a lot of hard contact, and it's it's Robbie Ray with with a much better much better walk rate. Mm, so yeah, sure. That's, so that's not really a fair comparison to. to throw their names out together but I bring up Robbie Ray because it's you know somebody who has missed a lot of bats but still can get hurt by by too much hard contact and I'm just worried that that could be Bieber this year one other uh one other pitcher that I just think is worth uh well actually you brought this up already but we can reiterate that uh, Mike Clevenger went for 17 Uh, again I think along with like Judge and Stanton I think that's a really nice discount that I would have not only no problem accepting but would would be happy to roster Clevenger at that price yeah I'm, I'm all over that and in fact I look up and down this is uh, Adam Ronis who who uh who got Mike Clevenger at 17 I'm with you that he is a, a guy who came at a really nice price and I think that he did a very nice job in in finding those values and in being the person who took advantage Matt Chapman at 16 is a nice one Yoan Moncada at 11 something I am sure you like a lot I know oh, yeah. I like a lot Nick Castellanos at 16. There are a lot of good uh, prices on this team to go along with Francisco Lindor and Mookie Betts and Jacob deGrom. That is a nice-looking team top to bottom, and I think that uh, the Clevenger bargain is something that was able to open up the door and make that happen. Yeah, yeah, I know. Adam's got a really nice roster with a lot of good bargains uh, that I like. So uh, definitely uh, fun to break this down. Looking forward to talking about the NL-only uh, with DVR. Looking forward to talking about the Tout Wars Mixed Draft with you later this week. I think we're a little short on time to get to that today, and I do want to alert folks to our featured read of the day. This one was really, really enjoyable. Uh, opening day is almost here. Where is Yasiel Puig? Good question, especially since I just recently drafted him in my score sheet league. I would <laughs> That's like where he is. I would least, like we, him to we, we know at least one team he's on. <laughs> That's right. I'd like him to get on another team. <laughs> Uh, a real, a real team. 
<laughs> so this is a piece in the ringer uh, by Michael Bauman, uh, an excellent read. And, uh, you know, it just for me, again, very top of mind because I, I'm certainly anxious for Puig to sign. And, you know, Michael basically makes the point in the piece that, um, you know, there's there's probably something left there in the tank for Puig. And, and it's it's a little a little bit uh, confounding to you know figure out why he of all the, the free agents is, is still out there. So do give that a read. And uh, on that note, we're going to wrap things up here for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, well, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. And everything that we do is part of that subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that lets you leave a rating and a review, we would certainly appreciate it if you did take the time to do that. So for Michael Beller, I'm Al Melchior. We'll be back here on Wednesday. 